Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus. You know, you really should be friends with someone before you share the gospel. And did you know that God will never give you more than you can handle? These are a few of the maxims, the unbiblical statements and beliefs that you may be hearing a number of times by people that are claiming to be Christians, some are Christians, and people just around you saying these statements that at first may sound really good on the surface until someone comes and examines them. So to do that on this episode of the Good Fight Radio Show is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise God. This is going to be a fun show, but also kind of a grievous show, sometimes painful if you actually use some of these sayings out of context or... There's some truth to some of these things, but the way they're used, Chad, is often totally skewed from the Scripture. But I thought it was interesting uh, when we put our list together, uh, the ones that you had suggested, I thought, wow, it's crazy because in the list that you had before I added a few of my own, uh, I thought, wow, there's two in your list that I actually dealt with in the last one today, which I'll tell you in a little bit, and a brother named Larry, and one last week, which we'll get to that too from a sister named Landell. So I'm always answering questions like that, uh, and it's not that they brought these propositions to me. Uh, Larry, which we'll get to, had a certain question along these lines, but uh, the sister was being addressed with one of these questions. It was used by somebody that was antagonistic toward her, and I thought, wow, it's crazy because this is so relevant to a lot of what we're hearing today in the body of Christ. No, amen, and we are going to be turning up the heat on some of these questions, and if you're wondering why we're sweating, it's because we're under a heat wave here in Southern California. And the air conditioner cannot keep up. <laughs> that, that is true. So if that's what if you're wondering why it looks like we're being interrogated, just know that is the reason. But but nonetheless, Joe, we do have ten. Heat alert! Heat alert! Uh, that alarm that you just heard is actually <laughs> Joe's phone letting us know there is a heat wave, and I—it's an emergency heat wave. If so. only I was joking. Uh, no, dead serious. That's exactly what that was. But. Nonetheless, uh, we're not going to allow that to stop us from going through this, these very important maxims. Because, Joe, like you said, one of the things is you hear some of these things. I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus. That's actually true, Joe. We don't worship the Bible. Mm-hmm. We worship Jesus. But typically, when we hear this statement, a lot of times this is coming from people that either don't want to study God's Word or disagree with certain portions of it. And maybe you can even call them red-letter Christians, which... Eventually, now it's been coming out more and more of those red-letter Christians are now no Christians at all, which is something that's been warned about for a long time. Yeah. But the deconstruction movement and liberalism that came into the church via the submerging church or the emergent church, but it's more submerging the emerging, and now it's submerged, and now it's just kind of changed its message and been a little piece of the pie in terms of liberal, liberalism. And really, when they're saying... I don't worship the Bible, I worship Jesus. Let's talk about how that actually is problematic because on the surface, Joe, that sounds pretty good. 
Yeah, uh, some of these statements, the reason they're very popular statements is they sound good on the surface. If they're taken a certain way, sometimes they'll have a degree of accuracy uh, to one degree or another. But when you look at how they're used often, uh, a lot of times they're just, you know, they're actually detrimental to the, the will of God. Uh, for instance, that, yeah, obviously, you know, we're supposed to worship God and uh, not worship the Bible. Uh, the Bible is a thing, you know, we're supposed to not put anything before God, but the thing that is, it's the Word of God, you know, and, and Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, and it's inspired by God, and it's breathed by God, as you know, Chad. And uh, well, I just think it's an interesting uh, statement in the sense that people, as you said, you nailed it. They, people that usually say that, well, we're not supposed to, you know, worship, you know, we're not supposed to, you know, worship the Bible, we're supposed to worship God. They're usually people that are, as you mentioned, they're trying to sidestep certain scriptures. Uh, they're seeking to undermine the authority of scripture mm. as though, as though, you know, Scripture is not authoritative. Jesus, that I follow Jesus. Well, how do you even know who Jesus is outside of Scripture? How can you authoritatively say he is the Messiah outside of Scripture? Or they, or they, you know, they are against inerrancy. You know, if you're, if you believe in inerrancy, that the Bible is the Word of God and, and, and perfect in the original autographs, man, you, you must worship it. They jump to weird conclusions, and it's a red herring, really, is what that is. But the truth is, uh, when we look at that that proposition. Uh, Jesus said, you know, heaven and earth will pass away in Matthew chapter 24, but my words will never pass away. Jesus says the scripture cannot be broken. Jesus said in the volume of the book is written of me. Uh, he, he over and over again said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I think it's important too, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we're supposed to allow God's word to dwell in us richly. What happens, and I've got an interesting quote here. And this is from a blog. And now it's interesting. When you read this, it sounds like a really good illustration. It sounds like there's a lot of wisdom in it at first. When you, but when you dig beyond the surface, it's like, ah, no, this isn't a really good illustration at all. It says, Jesus is the thing. Scripture is the sign that points toward the thing. Scripture provides a series of portraits so that we will know the real thing when we see it. That much is true. The first part is not totally true, though. The difference between Scripture and Christ is the difference between the menu and the food. The one describes the reality of the living, uh, life-giving sustenance or substance that is Christ, he's speaking of, and the other is that of, of is giving substance. So the menu, you don't, you know, you don't eat the menu. The menu points to the food. And so people look at the illustration, yeah, really, the Bible's like the menu points us to Jesus, just like a menu points us to food, but we're really supposed to get in the food, and we, we shouldn't be too serious about the menu. But what's wrong with that analogy, Chad, is my Bible is, you know, when I have a menu, I can't feed on that menu. It's not living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, transforming me as I look at it. The Word of God transforms us. And guess what? You're right. I can't eat the menu. I can't drink milk from the menu. You know, unless one of my grandchildren... Uh, which would be, you know, one of your children or or Adams and Heather's, and unless they spill milk on it, they might be able to drink some off of it. But but that's not a good parallel at all, because guess what? The Bible says that God's word is food, contrary to the menu. It is living and active, and it's actually food. Uh, Hebrews, as you know, Chad five, I think verses like twelve through fourteen or so. There, it compares it to uh, the milk and, and the meat of the word. The Bible compares the word of God to to honey. Uh, Jesus himself said, you know, my words are, you know, are, he, he described his words as, 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 as being food. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because 
Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4 to Satan, that man shall not live by word alone, by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, desire the pure milk of the word that ye may grow into or in, uh, into salvation. So God's word is something we're supposed to seek. So it's not as though it's just a menu that points to Jesus and we're taking it too way too seriously. Because nobody that I know that believes in inerrancy worships the Bible, okay? But we take it very, very seriously because it's the word of God. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things is, first of all, there's, there's a couple of things, obviously you already pointed out, to just honestly the the lack of logic being used because where are you getting who Jesus is? Like how are you getting to the place where you are to worship him or the person that he is if not according to his word? Because are you getting it from what, Pliny the Younger? Or are you looking at other sources that are not the Word of God? Yeah. Because it comes back to, as you mentioned, the authority. And the authority comes from the reality that Scripture is God-breathed, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. and All Scripture. Every single one, That's Old right. and New Testament, which is goes into our next question. But Jesus himself, when he was making argumentation against the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth, and specifically against the Sadducees when they were denying the resurrection, the afterlife, one of the things that he did is when he spoke about the Word of God, about Exodus specifically, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So Jesus himself, when he makes his entire argument off the tense of a verb that God is, the I am, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had long since passed, and had been dead in terms of their body, according to the scriptures, according to logic, according to reading the testimony of the word of God in Genesis. But yet he was currently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they were yet living, even though their body had been deceased. And so that is really important to understand when we say this is the authority that Jesus had, according to his word, and the word of God is the very thing that Jesus prescribed in John 17, 17, as the thing that would sanctify us, the same thing that Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3, 16, that would sanctify us, the same thing that Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21, that they didn't follow cleverly devised tales, but they were eyewitnesses to his majesty and mentions the mountain of transfiguration where he heard the voice of God speak to him, and he said, we actually have a more sure Sure word word in the scripture. So really important. And along those lines, and because I know we've got 10 questions, so we'll try to bust it up. No, I went longer than yeah. you did, bro. No, it's great. We, we, hey, we, the word, we love the word. So it's, we're answering the scripture. And you have it written word, down in your notes, but, too, 2 you Timothy 3.16. I didn't notice that. Oh, no, I'm glad you, no, I'm glad you used that because yeah. I, I was, I was going to, you know, I didn't use that. Yeah. There's so many wonderful scriptures along those lines. Is, uh, but, you know, yeah, there is a danger, but it's different than the danger being posed by, well, we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. Well, if you worship Jesus, you probably wouldn't say that in such a way, you know, because you'd have such a reverence from him and a worship for him, and you'd have a reverence for him and his words, not a worship for his words, but you, you know, he puts his word, you know, high, scriptures say. But it's interesting. We do have to be careful uh, of this. There are those who study the word, and they're like, man, I'm in the word, but they're not doing the word. So, yeah, mm. uh, you know, the Bible says in James 1.22, you know, be doers of the word. And not hearers only deluding your own selves, you know. And of course, there are many people who read the word, they'll memorize the word and so forth. But and you got to be careful out there in our audience. We love you guys. But if you're in the word and you're and you're, you're, you're diving the word, memorizing it, you know, just you know, studying it, that's all awesome. But make sure you turn to Jesus. 
you know, <laughs> because then you're missing the main point. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, he said, I'm saying these things to you that you may be saved, uh, but you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life in John chapter five. And he said to them in John five thirty nine that you search the scriptures diligently because in them you believe that you have eternal life. But it's the scriptures that speak of me and you won't come to me, he says. So we got to make sure we're coming to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And this lines up really well, guys, with our next, I guess you would say, unbiblical belief or maxim that you might hear. And this one is becoming more popular. This, the, the wordage I will use in this specific way of framing it was actually used by Andy Stanley in North Point Church, one of the biggest churches in America. Mm-hmm. And he spoke about unhitching from the Old Testament. So the statement is, we need to unhitch from the Old te- Testament and simply focus on the New Testament. Those aren't his exact words, but he did do an entire series about unhitching from the Old Testament. So, Joe, are we supposed to, we're believers, we're in the New Covenant, are we supposed to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? Absolutely not. We're not under the uh, Mosaic Law of the Old Testament. We know that as Christians, but, man, I mean, Chad, you just referenced uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, where all Scripture is inspired by God as God breathe and that it's given for instruction and righteousness and training and everything that says that the the man of God might, you know, would be sufficient for every good work. And when he says all scripture, Chad, you know, most scripture hadn't been written yet. And he speak or most of the new Testament hadn't been written yet. You know, I do believe uh, some of the gospels have been written by that point because he actually quotes Jesus in Timothy, which is a great evidence that, that, that Luke was already written. And you have a Luke and uh, also Matthew, the same quotation. So I'm not sure if it's taken from Luke or Matthew there, but either way, it's taken from one of those two synoptics. So it's kind of interesting uh, that Paul is saying all Scripture because, and he says of Timothy that you've known your the Scriptures since your childhood, which I think gives evidence that yeah. he's talking about the Old Testament Scripture <laughs> mainly because Timothy Amen. knew, yeah. he didn't know the New Testament from his childhood because, you know, Paul's writing uh, much later than when Timothy was a child, at least. And it's interesting when he's saying that, it says, you've known the scriptures that are able to make you wise uh, from your childhood, wise unto salvation. So the Old Testament actually helps us become wise unto salvation, and they lead us to, to Christ. But I think it's important that we get this. You can't read, Chad, the Old Testament or the New Testament and understand much of it without the Old Testament. Amen. I mean, I'm going through a study in James right now, and there's 22 allusions in that small book, five chapters. You know, the, the fifth chapter is like only 20 verses long, and... He's, he, James says, I mean, James quotes or refers to or cites partially or alludes to 20, 22 different books, more than 22 places, but 22 different books in the Old Testament. Wow. We, we're in the last chapter of the book of Revelation in our Revelation study, and we've, it's been, we've been there for years and years, guys, if you want a good Revelation study. Uh, and, uh, and there's hundreds of allusions and citations. Uh, and when I thought about this, uh, Earlier today, when I pondered this, I thought, you know, it's interesting because there's so much of revelation that you could not really understand without the Old Testament. Like, for instance, when he mentions, now, Chad, look a little quiz, you know, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Uh, but if I was to mention to you, if you're, I'm a Roman Catholic and I say, hey, man, it mentions Mary in Revelation chapter 12. It mentions 12 stars and the sun and the moon. And that must refer to Mary, you know, and her glory. <laughs> How would you answer me? Yeah, we would absolutely without go the Old that. Testament. You could without right? the Old Testament, you could not. But what would you do? You would show that it was obviously Israel there with from the, the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, from Genesis. Yeah, from You'd the go Book back of Genesis. To it. That's right. Yeah, you would not make some sort of crazy extrapolation. Brothers, <laughs> you know, and his mother, father, Joseph's, and they're typified by the sun and the moon and twelve stars, who all you know bow down to him and and pay respect to him. 
And that's how we understand the book of Revelation. We compare scripture. The Bible says compare that which is spiritual with that spiritual. So if you cut off the Old Testament, that's really a sad thing. It's interesting because this is one of the questions that I got from a sister uh, last week. And she actually was, you know, just, I wanted to encourage her because she came to me and uh, through a text and her and Ivan, a great brother and sister, beautiful family. And, and she's like, you know, witnessing and she was inviting somebody to the premiere of Marvel. And they said, nope, I'm not going to go. And she, they talked about the, really what you guys should be focusing on is the Jews. You know, they're the main problem, that the biggest enemy of the Christian church, da-da-da. And then they said this about the Old Testament. I believe that one of the uh, largest mistakes Christians make is including the Old Testament in their belief system. I have, a little bit further down, they say, I have uh, no need whatsoever of the Old Testament teachings. My prayer is that you and your, uh, you and yours will continue to trust in Jesus and that, uh, and, 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 you and yours trust in Jesus and, and God bless and so forth. Wait, is so. that from Marcion, the early heretic? No. No, okay, I was just making sure, because that's exactly what Marcion would say. Marcion cut out the Old Testament, right, exactly, and he quote, quote, wanted quote, something quote, new. cut out a lot of Paul's messages and parts of the Gospels he kept and so forth, wanted something new and wanted something that would ta- be tailor-made for him, right? And that's exactly what's going on there, Is is and it breaks my heart. I read that, I'm like, wow, and I, I wrote her big, long text, you know, and I'm like, Lord, I don't have time to all do all this, but it was it was like this, you know, I'm going to give her some help here. And I didn't know it, but she said, I, I forwarded it to the person I would talk to. I'm like, okay, well, I wrote truth down. and But some of the things I wrote to her uh, in response to help her and encourage her that she ended up sending to that person, and I had no idea that was going to be one of the things you're going to bring up, so I thought it was interesting, is not only uh, 2 Timothy that I reference, but 1 Corinthians 10, Paul goes through how the Israelites had been saved out of Egypt and how God gave them water from the rock. They were baptized in the Sea of Moses. They, you know, uh, you know, had these experiences, right? Manna from heaven. They had all these wonderful experiences. There's a kid who went further too. They had the Passover blood that, you know, covered the, that kept the, them from losing their firstborn. You know, all these pictures of Christ. And he says the rock was a picture, was Christ who followed them, picture of Christ who followed. And it's interesting, uh, but after he says that, he talks about how after that, God wasted a bunch of them. You know, they were laid low in the wilderness. Their carcasses had dotted the, the landscape before they got in the promised land. And not that many, as you know, went into the promised land. But look at what Paul says in reference to the Old Testament and why it was written. He says, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did uh, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And listen to this, verse 11, in case we missed it the first time, he reiterates and emphasizes even more. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written down, Old Testament was written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And why were they written down? Verse verse 6, uh, so that we would not crave evil things. So we wouldn't fall in the same way that they fell. So, brothers and sisters, it's imperative that you understand, that we understand, that the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament. I remember when I was, as a new Christian, and one of my friends that I led to Christ, one of the, my closest friends, and I was leading them different ones to Christ, and when he came to Christ, man, he started reading the Old Testament. He goes, Joe, man, you read the Old Testament, man, you get the fear of God in you. Man, he goes, and he loved the Old Testament. I was like, praise God, you're in the Scripture. And listen to what Paul says in Romans 16.4. For whatever was written in earlier times, that's the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
doesn't only warn us, but gives us encouragement. That's why in Hebrews 11, you have so many references to the hall of faith, uh, you know, the references to the hall of faith of all Abraham and Isaac and, and on and on and on. And you wouldn't even know their stories. Why would he be taught you? They wouldn't know what he's talking about. Unless you have the Old Testament to figure it out what he's talking about and see their life journeys and say, wow, Lord, look at what you brought them through and how they persevered and they resisted sin and, and or how you forgave them after they'd fallen. They got back up. You strengthened them and used them to your glory. And wow, it gives you hope, you know? So uh, it's, it's such a lie, you know? And by the way, right after Paul says all scripture is given and all scripture is to be used, right? In its proper context, of course, then he goes on to say a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 2, if for the time will come when they, they won't heed sound doctrine, but want to have their ears tickled, they heap themselves. Many teachers will tickle their ears and what they want to hear. Well, guess what? A lot of people don't want to hear the Old Testament. I don't hear fire and brimstone. By the way, there's plenty of fire and brimstone in the New Testament, but <laughs> you don't have a new, new Testament without the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. And in fact, we wouldn't even know who Jesus is without the Old Testament because it's the prophets who explain who he would be. Yeah, and I love that because you guys are seeing the intertestamental nature of even in the New Testament, speaking once again to the old and even talking about, and it's so interesting because you had quoted already earlier 2 Timothy where Paul is talking about the muzzling of the ox and yeah. mentions that as scripture, right. as the other scripture, and 2 Peter as well. When it quotes yeah. scripture there in 2 Peter chapter 1, um, verses 16 through 21, and talks about the scriptures that they're not made from the human will, but that God worked through. He spoke through the Holy Spirit, and he mentions the scripture there. It's later in that chapter 3 that it warns about Paul's letters being twisted That's right. to people's destruction as they, they do, do the other, other scriptures. scriptures. That's right. And as just a more ecclesi uh, ecclesiology in terms of that note, in terms of the study of the ch of church history— 100%. One of the reasons why I, I had joked about with Joe, with Marcion, one of the things when it comes to the canon of Scripture, that they knew Marcion was a heretic and anyone else coming in the same line was if they denied the Old Testament That's Scriptures. Right, That's what's scary about yeah, that, that person is, writing that. Yeah, we call it Marcionism. And those who teach that way are called Marcionites, you know, who, who just say, oh, the Old Testament's not, you know, we don't go by that all, we don't follow it. It's like, Man, you can't read the New Testament and understand it, and you know not to reiterate all that. But you know, I know we got other questions, but there's so much you want to say about that one because that's that's a doozy. I know. I, I feel and guilty a, for not doing an episode on each one of these, but yeah, same man. <laughs> Stanley went that route with his congregation. Yeah, yeah, and he usually puts these crazy statements out and then backtracks on a little bit. But but nonetheless, all right. So as we move forward, the next question, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this, and sure, and I'm sure some of you might even have felt it at times, and it's. There are so many hypocrites in the church, so I don't go at all. And another way to say this is that there are a lot of believers that say they believe in Jesus, but they don't want to be associated with Christianity because of what the church is. And Joe, as I hand this over to you, one thing I, I was going to mention as well is when it comes to things like the Westboro Baptist or on the other end, the Joel Osteen churches or the Creflo Dollar churches or the Benny Hinn churches— and you see these, and I'm using that word church not as is, as the universal church, but literally the buildings that they're going to. And when I see that, I say, yeah, I'm not associated with that, but there's going to be a difference as to why I'm not associated with that. And it, it doesn't take you to the place to say, well, because there are wicked people, that means there are nobody that is righteous and so forth in terms of actually walking in the word of the Lord and, and all of that. But it's one of those things that really, really I understand 
because you look at some of the wickedness or even the Catholic yeah. Church or, you know, some of the Eastern Orthodox movements as well and so forth. You see all that and you go, well, I'm not a part of that. But then you take it to a way far out place where there's really no believers that are walking biblically. Yeah. Uh, and there's nobody that's actually under the headship of Christ coming under the authority of Scripture and actually abiding in the church and fellowshipping together. Yeah, no doubt. And, and yeah, you can, you know, to also stereotype all churches must be like this. That's such a cop-out. That's so weak to act like every church. And, Chad, you know, when you first uh, were being introduced to Christianity, I think before you actually got saved, though, you mentioned how you'd gone to a very big church, uh, and there were all kinds of people you knew that parted with you. And that you knew were, you know. Yeah, let me, let me touch on that. It's funny because I was, uh, tomorrow's 5.11 News, I'm going to be talking about that. And one of the things is, is before I was a believer, I'd had a party at my house. And uh, when I had that party, you know, a friend of mine stayed the night and he said, hey, I want to go. And my parents were out of town at that time. And we were drinking and doing all sorts of disgusting things that God hates. And he he had said the next day, hey, I, I got to go to church. Do you want to go with me? And so I said, sure, you know, I could get a free lunch out of it. And then I went to church with him. And then I noticed that the same girls that were at my house the night before, literally, I remember multiple right in front of me with their hands up in the air worshiping. And it was at that moment that I said, you know what, not only Christianity, but God himself, it's all fake. I, I don't believe in God and I hate him. And that's that's really what what took me over to the point where I said, I don't even believe in God at all. Right. And that's tragic. So a lot of people draw that conclusion because they go into a church where there is a lot of people that aren't walking. And sometimes you go to a, a church where there's not church discipline. Uh, the, the, the word maybe is not preached as strong as it can be, obviously, or they're allowing people uh, that are there that are just unrepentant and rebellion to God. And as though they're, you know, and they characterize that as Christianity, you know, and that's heartbreaking, you know. Uh, I know by the grace of God, and there's our fellowship is far from perfect, but when you got saved and you ended up here, you, you see a lot of people that love and fear God. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, everybody's perfect, but Chad, I know you like the Dodgers, you know. I know somebody just gave you Dodger tickets, and uh, <laughs> you went with, you took my daughter, and, and you went uh, to the Dodger game. But I want to ask you a question. Did you look around and say, wow, you know what? Because guess what? I can tell you right now, I, I'm, and I'm sure of this, there are San Francisco fans there that are not wearing their colors. They're not real Dodger fans. They might even seem like Dodger fans because they're hanging out with people that are Dodger fans, but they're hypocrites, man, because really they're San Francisco Giant fans, and deep down they hate the Dodgers, man. And there's other people looking at their cell phone more than they're looking at the game. There's other people that are there just because they're spouses. Does that make you think, man, you know what? I, I'm not going to go to another Dodger game, man, because there's too many people that aren't sincere followers of the Dodgers there. No, you go to the Dodger game because guess what? You like the Dodgers. Well, how much more should you be involved in church when you're commanded not to forsake the assembly. That's a command from God. It's not a suggestion. You know, it says to gather together all the more, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together or your meeting together, but gather together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. And by the way, uh, we need to be part of the solution. Okay. If I know what the, God's word says, and it says that I'm supposed to be stimulating brothers uh, to love one another and stimulating brothers love to and love and good works yeah. in the context of not forsaking the fellowship yourselves together. And I refuse to, you know, be in fellowship with Christians because they're all hypocrites. Well, guess what? I'm being a hypocrite because I'm claiming to be a Christian and I'm disobeying God's word and I'm not stimulating brothers and sisters to love and good works. I mean, I said this will hurt this a, a bit because we know we have a lot of brothers and sisters in the audience that love Jesus, that are like-minded and so forth. But we all have to be convicted and say, hey, I need to make sure that I am 
I am edifying the body of Christ and I'm building people up in Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my church, Chad, and the gates of hell will not prevail mm-hmm. against it in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. So when we look at the scripture and we, he's going to build his church and we know the church exists all the way until Christ comes back in Revelation chapter 19 at the very end of the tribulation and it comes back and his bride is finally made ready. His bride, man, which is beyond what anybody can number of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. There's so many people, we can't even number them, a great multitude that no man can number. Don't tell me there's not true Christians. The true, the church of Christ is not here today. The true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? I'm not talking about LA Church of Christ or Boston Church of Christ. I'm talking about true followers of Jesus Christ across denominational lines. And when I'm talking about denominations, I'm not talking about Roman Catholicism and so forth, but I'm talking about true blood-bought, born-again believers who believe in justification by grace through faith and uh, by, by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, that's, there, there's plenty of us. I, I know all kinds of believers. And so it becomes an excuse. I mean, a lot of people make the excuse. They're not walking with God and they, they know they should be in church. Well, what do you say? Well, it's easier to say, well, it's them. And every time you point your finger at someone else, there's three pointing right back at you. So you got to be really careful. And we need to be part of the solution. As I said, we need to be part of the body of Christ. We need to be edifying and building up other believers in Christ. The enemy is that one that wants to keep you sidelined, you know, and he wants to excuse your, yourself, you know, away, you know? Yeah, it, it's so true. And, you know, just to finish up that story uh, about even my conversion to atheism, uh, when the gospel was actually shared to me, one of the things that was brought out in that discussion when he was sharing the gospel with me, who is now my brother-in-law, one of the things that he said was, hey, you know, the, the fellowship that I go to, I'm not saying we're perfect, but he's like, if it's known that someone is sleeping with their girlfriend, they're not married, and someone knows that, they're gonna, it's going to be brought forth. They're going to say, hey, why are you doing this? And if you continue in this, you can't just sit up here and, and act like everything's normal. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if that's the practice that people are doing, that we shouldn't welcome them as brethren. That's not what we're doing because ultimately we're giving them a pill. I'll take that line from Leonard Ravenhill giving them a pill and putting them to sleep so they can get to hell quicker. Because when you are acting as if, yeah, you're my brother, everything's fine, while they're walking in sexual immorality, while they're walking in drunkenness, when they're walking and just smoking weed every weekend and whatever, every night for a lot of people, and be like, well, you're my brother, come on, it's all fu- it's all fine and dandy, when the Bible is so clear that no fornicators, no adulterers, no liars, no thieves, you, you know someone's doing those things, and as a brother in Christ, not calling them to accountability, that is that is sketchy stuff to, yeah, to, to do that. And as a brother in Christ, that's not love. Uh, apathy is not love. You want to share and you want to love them back to the kingdom. All right, the next one, Joe. And this one, we'll, we'll eventually have to do one that are common accusations, I say. It's a common thing said to, to Good Fight Ministries specifically. But this one is, why spend time exposing wickedness when you could simply be praying for the people you're exposing? Yeah, to me, that's like saying, why spend time praying when you can be reading the Bible? Why spend time feeding the poor when you can, you know, be saving the trees? Or why can you, you know, people have all these either or. And for us, it's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a silly argument because it's this like either or fallacy where, you know, yeah, why, why, why pray when you can be witnessing? Or why witness when you can be praying? Or why read the Bible when you can be doing those things? Or doing those things when you can be reading the Bible? Wait a minute. Am I not commanded to study the scripture? Yeah, so I do it. Am I not commanded to witness? Yeah, so I do it. And I do it out of a heart of love as well. Am I not commanded to pray? Yes, I do it. But I do it out of a heart of love as well. Am I not commanded? Are you not commanded to expose wickedness? You are absolutely. And I would just tell that person, you know, you're breaking God's word. You're breaking his command if you refuse to point out wickedness. Uh, the Bible warns actually in Proverbs chapter 20, was it 2411? It talks about those 
who don't rescue those who are being taken away to death and led to the slaughter. And what they're doing will be weighed in the balances, you know, and so forth. And we're told in the scripture in chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, Chad, that when the Holy Spirit would come, uh, he would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Did I not say John? I thought they said in the in the scriptures. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in the, the scriptures. scriptures. It's in the Gospel of John, though. You're right. <laughs> yeah. More specifically, Amen. Yeah. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, and uh, and it's interesting though because well, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah, but guess who the Holy Spirit fills? Amen. And guess who he uses? And guess who the hands and the feet of Jesus of Jesus are in this world? And we're the habitation of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. It just so happens that that word convict right there is used of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, prophesying in the assembly. And it says, the secrets of his heart, this is of a person, non-believer, comes in and are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That word right there is very interesting. It's a, the same word. The word disclosed there is the same word that's convict there. The Holy Spirit uses, and it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit using believers here to convict the world of sin. And he uses believers and the, and the gifts. And one of the gifts there, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 14, and you always hear about tongues and you hear about different gifts, but how come we don't hear about the gift of discernment of spirits, you know? I remember years ago, a good friend of mine, uh, Dave Hunt, uh, went backpacking with him and uh, helped him on some different things. And and Dave Hunt was, uh, he, he confronted Jack Hayford. And Jack Hayford was really upset. This was, we're going way back now, 1984. And J- Dave Hunt came out with a book called The Seduction of Christianity. And it was a top-selling Christian book at the time. And a lot of people that were into psychobabble, you know, psychoheresy, that were into the prosperity teachings, into all kinds of weirdness, really, I mean, Dave became like a villain because he was pointing out the truth of a lot of the heresies that were in the church. And I remember Dave Hunt and T.A. McMahon uh, because, uh, I mean, who was it? It was uh, Robert Schuller said, you could see the serpent in Dave Hunt's eyes, you know, a guy that never used the scripture, probably never talked about the devil until then, you know? Uh, and then it's interesting because uh, Jack Hayford, uh, you know, a four-square leader at the time, you know, uh, still probably a four-square leader. Uh, he, he, you know, he came down on Dave Hunt and so forth. Dave Hunt and T. McMahon went into his office. They talked to him and they asked him, hey, you're, you're really into pushing the gifts, Jack. He said, but what about discernment of spirits? Christians have gifts to discern what spirits are, you know, and so forth. And Hayford, according to uh, Tom McMahon, conceded that, yeah, that's something that we shouldn't neglect. And and from my understanding, he was going to make a retraction of what he had said about them, which he hadn't, you know, uh, about about what he had written about or stated about the book, but heartbreakingly. So it's interesting what about discernment of the spirits? And, and what about Ephesians 5.11 that commands us? That's why I said you're breaking a command. It says, have no fellowship with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And that word expose, again, is from the Greek word where the Holy Spirit will convict, reprove, disclose, or expose uh, the world of sin. Now Christians are commanded to chat, expose the world of sin. And I point this out with, I emphasize it, because guess what? A few verses later, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, that way you can fulfill these commands. And now when I'm filled with the Spirit, guess what? I'm going to be able to expose the works of darkness and obey that command. If I'm not, so it's a lot of people that claim to be. Well, I go to, a, I, I had someone recently say uh, to a brother of ours in the fellowship, he goes, uh, Brother Manal is talking to me. He goes, yeah, I was ministering to his brother. And he goes, and I was telling him that, hey, you have tongues out of order in your church because everybody's speaking tongues, but it says there needs to be an interpreter. And there's no interpreter, bro. And he's just encouraging him in love. And the guy said, well, we're a spirit-filled church. 
And then Murnau got into the, the fruit of the Spirit, peace and love and joy. And what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? He said, you'd be filled with the, the love of God and all these things. Self-control. <laughs> yeah, self-control with, the, yeah. you know, the, the gifts. And and he said, well, you know, look at the Scripture. What does it say? You know, don't, shouldn't you be obeying the Scripture? I said, Murnau, you're totally right, because the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is written by the Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit saying, here's how you govern tongues and so forth. So it's just crazy when people get away from the Word of God, uh, when they say you shouldn't be exposing things. You know, I just recently, Chad, got my arm checked out because I tweaked it like three different times. You know, one time I, I you know, I was, I was working out and I just, I'm just foolish sometimes. And I just go and I don't like to warm up because I just try to get everything done in my day and I'm trying to be efficient. Sometimes that's bad. And I'm just like, pull down way too much weight. And all of a sudden it's like, and all of a sudden this is hurting. And for months, I'm, I can't even lay on my right side. It's all tweaked, right? Don't realize that rotator cuff uh, tear because the referral pain's down here, right? I think that's God putting pain here so you don't tweak it even more. But I don't know. We'll find out. But anyway, uh, it got crazy because then later I think it was Ariella holding one ground daughter, yanked the other one up, pulled it even more. And then I'm like, wow, you messed up anymore. Then the soccer game, Costa Rica, playing yeah. with the Costa Rican kids. I mean, the Americans were, come on, you guys were adults. You guys were beating them. I'm like, I got to get in the Costa Rican side. They're kids. You know? <laughs> and I jumped on their side. I was having a blast. And uh, and I was running. You saw me fall. I, I think you did. I was, yeah, you know I did. Yes, I was running I did. as fast <laughs> as I could, man. And I got these sandals are like an inch too long. I did not plan on playing soccer in them. And I just, at, at my top, my top speed, I'm a big guy. I weigh like 280 pounds, 280 plus, right? Boom, I hit the ground, man. And you saw I was all dirty here. I tweaked it even more. So guess what? I went to the doctor and the doctor could I could say, hey, doctor, I don't want an MRI, man. I don't want to look what's going on. They're just giving me a shot, you know, just kill the pain. That would be foolish. You know, I don't want any painkillers. If I don't need a painkiller, I don't want one. And guess what? When I got that checked out, bone spurs, torn rotator cuff, torn rotator cuff, arthritis, cartilage, <laughs> floating cartilage, arthritis because the injuries had been so severe. Clavicle is messed up and like two or three other things. The therapist, when he goes, I don't want to read all this to you because you're going to get discouraged. He goes, this is like your shoulder's a mess. But you know what? I'm glad I got the MRI because I know I need, because guess what? Now I know specifically exactly what exercises to do, which I'm doing a lot of them. But guess what? It would be foolish to say, you know what? We don't need to know what's going on. When you don't expose things, people don't realize that they're in quicksand. They don't realize they're in apostasy. If someone is believing a false gospel and there's somebody's telling them, you got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. You got to be circumcised. And you expose that and say, hey, no, that's an error, man. Right here it says, if you're circumcised for the sake of being justified and right with God, you'll fall from grace. You'll be cut off from Christ. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you're going to leave the person damned. Okay, if we really love people and care about people, we'll expose the darkness that they're in to rescue them and snatch them from the fire. No, and I love that because you're quoting 1 Corinthians 14, which says our God is a God of order. You Amen. Know, and that's putting the church back in order. And putting the church back in order is getting people to convict people of their sin. So I think that's interesting. And I want to read this because I think this... This text and and Joe, we might have to turn this into two episodes because we're all, we're running against it right no now. Way. Yes, we are, and we're so running against it right now. So we might go five and five. We might just do that if that's all right with Tony. Are we on four or five right now? We're uh, about to be on five, but so I want to read. Four. I want to read from Ephesians chapter five because Joe did it. It did an excellent job expressing that convict. Oh, yeah. I'm you know, sure you're going to want to go on because it gets so beautiful. Because it, and and here's the thing: so many people will quote First Corinthians. Five, you know, we need to judge those outside the church or inside the inside church, the not church, those yeah. outside the church, and so forth. But not recognizing that Joe and I, if we expose wickedness or any brother in Christ who's doing the commandment that we're about to read from, we are not saying let's excommunicate 
non-believers. Yeah. They're not in the fellowship. That's the context of First Corinthians That's 5. That's the Amen. context of First Corinthians removing 5. Removing them physically from the fellowship. And removing someone physically that is sleeping with their father's wife. Yeah. If uh, if that's the context, you know, uh, that that's why using that as, oh, I can't believe believers are exposing wickedness. I can't believe believers are doing exactly what Ephesians 5 tells us, especially when we understand Ephesians as the whole when it comes to the book. Three chapters of theology, three chapters of practical teaching on how Christians should walk. But I'm going to start it at verse 6. You understand, this is not in the church. These are sons of disobedience. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wicked things spoken about in the first five verses, things that were hard to even talk about, hard to even name, right? right? These these things shouldn't be named among you, right? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't run in that sin. For you were formerly of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For from the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11. I put all that in context with verse 11. Have no fellowship or do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Who are committing these deeds? The the sons of disobedience mentioned in verse 6. But instead, even expose them. Expose, the convict. I think it's Ellen Chos is is, uh, is how I've heard it pronounced. Ellen Chos. And corny is kind of tough because it, it because of Alexander the Great, the Greek language went so far that it's hard to get the pronunciations perfectly down. That's why we have more of an understanding of it in a written language. But nonetheless, verse 12. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Now, if I just stop there, you think, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. No, but all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Now, here's verse 14. This is why Good Fight Ministries exist. This is what happened to me. This is a biography of my life coming to Christ. Verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Amen, bro. So that's really important, I, I think, understanding the context of Ephesians 5, 11, but getting the whole thing really brings it out. Okay, Joe, I, I, Tony's giving me that, what is it, five minutes now, Tony? Um, well, the next one's roughly. pretty quick, but uh, I, I think we do it in three and a half because I just want to make one statement. That right yeah. there, what Chad had just mentioned about him coming to Christ, like when he saw the... If you know this background, he saw they sold their souls for rock and roll. He was a total, he heard about his rebellious heart, comes to Christ, gets saved, right? Our whole objective when I do they sold their souls for rock and roll, even before I was pastoring, I've been pastoring for years now, since 1990, so we're talking over 30 years now. Uh, But prior to that, I was doing they sold their souls and going to churches everywhere and being invited to different places. But my whole objective was to win people to Christ. I was seeing people like crazy come to Christ, like Chad came later as I was pastoring. That's the whole objective. So don't tell me, you know, that exposing the deeds of darkness we pray, we do both. So it's not either or. We pray, we cry out to God on behalf of these people that are lost and people that are leading people astray because we know how much trouble they're in and we'd love to see them come to know Christ. But it's not either or proposition. It's we do both. And I think, Joe, this is probably a really good time uh, to mention something specifically when it deals with what we're doing now. Uh, because for those who don't know, if you guys are new to the channel or maybe it's the first time checking it out or haven't watched a video in a little while, Guys, right now, we just came out last Friday with our brand new part two of our series, Marvel and DC's War on God. And this one deals with Dr. Strange, Aleister Crowley, and the multiverse of Satanism. And guys, 
This is a powerful, powerful video. And we want this video to get out and be an evangelistic tool for people to understand just how wicked things are because the entire point of this, as Joe already mentioned, the entire point of Good Fight Ministries is bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world and also bringing edification in the body. Yeah, they warn the church. That's the other purpose. Bringing know. things into their house, having those things in their life. Guys, I'm, I'm just giving you this as a personal testimony of someone who has children and my children. We had watched uh, The Flash and we turned on that show. This was a few years ago before Joe was working on this series. We didn't know anything, you know, about Marvel, really, and then started watching The Flash. And one of the episodes starts. And guess what happened? Two men kiss in the episode. They get that stuff in there. And in fact, when we play this trailer, I want to give some background to it yeah, because it's so trailer, important. Let me just yeah. piggyback on that. I'm just yeah. going to say this. We see so much, by the grace of God, so much good fruit, people getting saved, people in the body of Christ that get convicted and, and the Lord uses it to sanctify them and separate them from the works of wickedness. And I mean, Chad, you're, you're a witness to this. Tony's a witness to this. Josh's a witness to this. Tommy's a witness to this is we see people probably every week, if not every week, sometimes multiple people each week, you know, uh, coming from different places, different states, different places around the country, sometimes from different places around the world, visiting Blessed Hope Chapel because they've seen these things and God used it in their lives to bring them conviction in a certain area that set them free. Oh, man of God, I'm thinking of one right now. I said, man, after I started getting your ministry, he goes, I've become such a family man. I, 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 he fears and loves God. He said, Brilliant witness now, bright witness, because I just love God so much, but I've been such a good dad now and such a good, you know, I had a, we had a gal named Mary. I think her name is Mary Kate. Met her for the first time Sunday. She said she was at Bethel, you know, and she saw the stuff that we had done on Bethel and she was told because she wasn't being healed that she didn't have enough faith and she was being condemned there. Then she saw the truth and God used that to bring her awareness to what was going on in that movement. And she came and visited us and she lives five hours away from us. And, she's, and she came with her family. Lord, bring her family to Christ because she told me when she came up, I saw her whole family was there and she's like, they don't know Jesus yet. They came to a pretty heavy message Sunday. So, oh. you know, hopefully they came to know Jesus through that, you know. But we're seeing so much beautiful fruit and we know a lot of you guys have testimonies that God's done in your life through the ministry and you have testimonies as you've shared truth with other people and God's burned on your heart to make these truths known and truths that he's shown you from his word and what's going on. It's beautiful because you see people turn from darkness to light, you know. And sometimes, you, you know, you, you might say, man, I wish I'd see more. I mean, I got the book of Jeremiah open. I'm never going to get to Jeremiah in this question and answer time. But he's exposing the works of darkness, how they're sacrificing their children in the fires. And it. Yeah. God's never decreed it. And the wickedness they were doing. And Ezekiel, right next to Jeremiah, Chad, and then I'll give it right back to you. Ezekiel, God's showing him holes, a hole in the temple so you can see the wicked, perverse things the priests are doing and how they're committing abominable acts to these idols. Oh, God, why don't you spend more time interceding for them, God, instead of exposing? It's like... What in the world? Are we going to tell God not to expose things? I mean, why didn't did you going to tell John? John, you're writing the book of Revelation, exposing the beast kingdom, the harlot kingdom, everything. You should spend more time praying for those guys, not writing about that, John. No, then he'd be disobedient to the Lord. We would be disobedient to the Lord if we just prayed and didn't expose. You are being disobedient to the Lord if you only pray, you don't expose. Because you're commanding Ephesians 5.11 to expose so the light of Christ can come upon them. And they can see a distinction between light and darkness, which is what God's word says about the false teachers. They didn't make a distinction between that which was light and that which was dark. No, and, and that is a perfect segue into you guys. I want you to check out the trailer for this video. And one of the things, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up as well, is one of the things that you're going to hear in that is an audio clip of Stephen Englehart, a writer for Doctor Strange, and he is on a satanic show, a 
a Crowleyan show, and he's telling us. Where the host starts out the show, do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. That's and and you guys are going to hear a little clip of it. And one of the reasons we wanted to show it is because just listen to them how they are mentioning specifically the subversion that they are using on children and on anybody really watching these the, things into the yeah popular culture. As I learned things, I would try to plow those back into the Doctor Strange book. These ideas start to seep out into the popular culture in a way that is unexpected. I've seen the missing rituals from the book of Cagliostro. There is no afterlife. And I can prove it to you. Aha. Gain the power through the absorption of other beings. Did you know there's an entire chapter devoted to you in the dark hole? Book of the Damned. There's nothing fictitious about black magic. It is basically the worship of the force of evil as embodied by Satan, Lucifer, the princes of darkness and their leaders. Because it's really, really important, and, it, and it's good to have a good grasp of what the Word says regarding any of these questions that might be coming your way, and not just simply, here, I'll give you one line, and then you can move over to the next thing, you know, and Joe will give you just one line, and you can move on. That You know that's not how a good fight works, so we got to get into the Word. But, but Joe, one of the things, and this is something that I'm, I'm telling you from a non-believing perspective, when I was watching They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, and I was seeing, wait, there's there's an agenda. There's a culmination that's going to happen. And and by the way, that's one of the identifiable properties that makes Yahweh distinct from all of the other false gods. In, fa in fact, Dr. John Oswald has an entire book on that, that understanding that we have a God that there's Amen. a culmination to our faith. It's... Uh, I think it's the Bible among the myths. I believe yeah. is what is what it's mm -hmm. called. We we've we've Brilliant interviewed him book. on the show. Awesome, awesome book. But I didn't even know he was an Isaiah scholar when I read that. He's great with Isaiah too. <laughs> He's really yeah. I think his Isaiah commentary is probably my favorite one. But but when I when I look at that Joe and I, and I'm and I'm seeing this even as a not when I was a non-believer, one of the things that was bringing me to come to know Christ was the idea and understanding that ultimately all of this is for a reason. Like people just being evil for e randomness. And people doing this wickedness and having these philosophies that I was practicing as a non-believer, recognizing that there was a synergy and that it was all culminating somewhere, that end times understanding. And that brings out the last question that we'll go over in this episode. And we'll do another five on next week's episode. But but Joe, this is this is something really important to me personally as when I was a new believer then reading through scripture and something as a church, as a fellowship, and as Good Fight Ministries. But this is something that is quite popular, a statement that, that people think is we shouldn't focus on end times teaching. It will push people away because it's confusing. So people say, if it's confusing, if it's hard to understand, we probably shouldn't even study it. Let's just do practical lessons the 10 ways that you can be a better mom or a better dad or the 10 ways you can help your neighbor and give money to the poor or whatever. 
And then they say, let's not focus on that. But if I, if we can focus on this and more altruistic idea, ideology, that would help the the body and help the church more than, than study the study of prophecy. Yeah. It's a, just to be honest, it's uh ludicrous that kind of, I mean, I remember when Rick Warren wrote one of his very famous books about how Bible prophecy is a distraction from the devil, you know, uh, to keep us from our mission and so forth. And it's like, really, you know, when Jesus gave his longest message, we call it the Olivet Discourse, and it's even longer than the Sermon on the Mount, because if you put Matthew 24 and 25, which is part of the Olivet Discourse, with Luke 21 and Mark 13, uh, 13 and do a harmony of the scriptures, the longest teaching he ever gave right before he died. Must have been very, very important to him. In fact, he said, I'm Jesus gave prophetic statements in the Gospel of John as well, saying, I'm telling these things ahead of time, so when they take place, you won't fall away. In other words, these things I'm teaching you are important to know, so you won't fall away. That's why Hosea 6.4 says that my my children perish because of lack of knowledge. And it says, without a prophetic vision, my people go astray. So you have a lot of scriptures like that in that, and what is it, in chapter, I believe, 27 of, of Proverbs, verse 12, I think, it talks about how the prudent, you know, he sees the evil coming because he's in God's word and he hides himself. But the simple-minded, it says, they they are destroyed. So we need to know what God's word says about the future. Jesus upbraided and 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 rebuked uh, the religious leaders of his day because they weren't into the prophetic declarations about who the Messiah was, and they rejected Jesus as Messiah. And he said in Matthew 16, around verse 2 or so, that you guys can discern the weather. You could say, hey, when the sky's red, it's going to be like this in the morning. He goes, but you can't discern the signs of the times to them. And he rebuked them. So it's very, very important that we understand this. This was another phone call I got uh, today. And I, a lot of times I will not answer my phone. I have it off or whatever because I've got to get work done. Otherwise, I'm on the phone all day long. But I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll answer this bro because I had my phone on at the time and, and it was in proximity to me. A lot of times in another place because I don't get anything done otherwise. And uh, then I do answer all my phone calls at once or what have you. If there's an emergency, my wife lets me know because her phone's on. A lot of times people try to get to, to me through her, and I'm just like, mm, be careful. Depends how busy I am. But anyway, getting too, a little too personal. But this brother called. He goes, Joe, I'm confused because he's, he, he, you know, he's studying the book of Revelation, and it can be confusing. And he hasn't been in our Revelation studies. You know, he goes, after I finish reading, he's halfway through. He's in chapter 10, almost halfway through. He goes, then I'm going to go through your entire series on Revelation. And, you know, not to toot my own horn, but by the grace of God, it's an exceptional study through the book of Revelation that'll just blow you blow you away if you haven't been into it. But he's like, how do I understand and make heads or tails? And, you know, I told him, we'll get together, which we were going to get together in a couple of Wednesday nights after Bible study. But I said, but man, the book of Revelation is the only book. And th- this is the point. God doesn't want us to be confused. It's the only book that actually gives us an outline to the book. How's that? That's the Holy Spirit giving us an outline to a book. And that's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And, it's, and he writes, he says to John, write the things which thou hast seen, which is the vision of the glorified Christ who appears before him. Write the things which thou hast seen, chapter 1, the vision, because this is at the end of verse 19. And then he says, write the things that are, and that's Revelation 2 and 3, the next two chapters. Those are the things that are going on in the churches presently in John's day, because he addresses seven churches, and he's talking about what's going on with the churches. And then he says, and, and then he says, he ends that verse by saying, and write the things which shall be hereafter. That's about the future events. And from chapter four onward, almost all of it is future. And guess what? I mean, right after chapter two and three, in chapter four, verse run, one, John's caught up to heaven. He's able to, and he's able to see the things that will happen. It says, after these things, after the things he's addressed uh, to the churches that were currently in existence. And Chad, I just think it's amazing. The very first verse, just verse one, says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave unto his servants to show unto them, right? The things, 
he's talking about the things of the future, right? And and to show us, not to hide them, not to obscure them. And by the word, Chad, the word revelation. In Greek, it's apocalypsis. Apocalypsis means to unveil something or to lift a curtain, right? And God is lifting a curtain so we can see. Brothers and sisters, if you're afraid of the book of Revelation, and this brother was staying away from the book of Revelation, and, and it's neat to see he's back in the fellowship and so forth. He, haven't, he hasn't been staying in the fellowship for some time. Really neat bro. Just and moved closer. Just moved closer. It's <laughs> just exciting to see his God, such a, a love and a, a fire for God in his heart. It's beautiful to see. And his wife loves and fears God. It's just beautiful family. But he's diving in, you know, and he's seeing the heresies now, the seven mountain mandate. He goes, wow, that all, con-. the dominionism. By the way, uh, Rick Warren, who's has called, you know, Bible prophecy uh, a distraction. devil's distraction. He's a kingdom now kind of guy. I mean, he talks about this three-legged stool and bringing world peace through combining business and and, and government with the, ch- with the church and religion. It's like, this is prophesied in the Bible to be of the evil one. So you wouldn't even know what's going on without Bible prophecy. In fact, Chad, you would agree, without the prophecies, then we're going to be totally confused. We're not going to know what's up, what's down, what's right, what's left. But through Bible prophecy, we're able to say, wow, this is what the Bible warns would happen. And it is taking place exactly on time. Yeah, and I think something that's interesting, too, as you already mentioned, you're blessed in Revelation. You are blessed, those who read, hear, and heed. That's in verse 3. And you're like, wow, you have a blessing given by God, specifically about a book. Like this book, you are blessed if you read. Not that you aren't blessed by the rest of the Word of God, but it shows that God is making an important statement regarding the book. And so when it comes to prophecy, there's a couple of things. One, I think back also of having teachers so that you're not tossed to and fro by everyone in doctrine, teachers that— uh, rightly divide the word of truth that they can teach against false doctrine. They can all, you know, as it t- says in Titus 1 in terms of elders and uh, who can be elders and so forth. But I think of Nehemiah chapter 8 when they get the word of God back and Ezra reads to them. It's the first time we see a pulpit yeah. in the scriptures, right? It's powerful. And you have them translating the scriptures to them so they would understand it. And so that's important for us to be able to do that as well and be able to say, hey, well, here's where this is. Here's where that is, and we can look at the text together and grow that way, and that's how God grows us. And I I think that's a huge way uh, to understand that. But also, just when it talks about, well, that stuff's a distraction, Joe. We we probably should just stick to these messages, the 10 reasons. In fact, guys, I'm telling you right now, there are major churches, very popular churches, that when you look up what they believe about end times, they just say, well, we don't like to separate and have the difference of doctrine, so we don't talk about it too much. But I think about this. This goes back to the study of church history and the canon of Scripture. When we look back and see the first letter that we believe that Paul wrote as Scripture was probably 1 Thessalonians. Yeah. How do you think about this? When Paul was going to write his first letter, that God was going to use him, that the Holy Spirit was going to use him to write his first letter, what did he write about? Yes, there are practical teachings in 1 Thessalonians. How about chapter 4? What's God's will for your life? That you would abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, you know, there are some beautiful practical teachings there, but what does he deal with over and over again? End times, an understanding on end times, an understanding of the Amen. eschaton, an understanding uh, in chapter four, and then in chapter five, the wickedness that will happen, all of it. And then you also get back to practical. So yeah. there is a devotional aspect to the end times because I believe your answer to the problem of evil is useless if it doesn't involve the ultimate end times eschaton, that it doesn't it doesn't provide for the understanding that God is going to take everything that has taken place. It's not meaningless. 
There, is, there are reasons why suffering has happened, but ultimately there's a culmination of our faith. And when you get away from that, then the practical only means so much when it's not in light of eternity and in light of what God is doing in the end times as well. Yeah, and just kind of uh, to circle back around and put a cap on what you said, which I think is is really great, is uh, think about this. Even James, which is like the most practical book in the New Testament. And Proverbs probably, the New probably Testament, the, yeah. Probably very likely, we can't be sure, but the first book of the New Testament may be being written because uh, we're talking maybe the late 40s or so, maybe before First Thessalonians. We can't know for sure. But even though it's so practical, he even every book, almost every book in the New Testament emphasizes the second coming of Christ, you know? And he talks about the Lord of Sabbath, and he talks about how the uh, the rich and the riches that they've stored up as, as they're mistreating God's people will eat them, you know, like canker and so forth. And he's, he's talking about waiting for the early and the latter rain and so forth. He brings a prophetic dimension in there. And even if you're into practical teaching, you cannot, the New Testament writers, uh, I mean, when you go to Daniel, bro, it's talking about end times, <laughs> and it talks about uh, those, you know, the, those who know their God, they'll do these mighty exploits for him in the end times, and and that uh, one of the signs of the times is that we'll be running to and fro, right? And knowledge will increase. And those who have insight and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. So the Bible warns about going to and fro. That's going to and fro. Knowledge And knowledge will increase. You go to and fro. That's the context if you look that little phrase up throughout the Old Testament. That's that's a knowledge of Scripture going to and fro. That's why we, if you, st- if you study the Bible with us on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, or even now, we're always going to and fro throughout the Scripture. That's how knowledge increases. And it, the context in Daniel is about the end times. And then the last thing, Chad, you mentioned the great Scripture, Revelation 1-3, after we talked about apocalypses to unveil, to show, and then you said you're blessed when you read it. But when he says, blessed he that hears and reads the words of this prophecy, or reads and hears the words of prophecy, and keeps those things that are written therein. How do you keep or heed those things that are written therein? Chad, if I tell you, please, can you blah, 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 you'll be like, Huh? You don't understand me. You can't heed what I said because you don't understand me. But the Bible says, Revelation says about that book, blesses you that hears and reads and keeps the words written there. And how can you keep the words that are written in there if you couldn't understand them? Obviously, God expects you to study and understand them so you can heed them and receive the blessing. So it's not only giving you an outline of the first chapter, but as you mentioned, Chad, it also pronounces a blessing upon you if you study end times. And man... If you study end times and you do it with a heart for Jesus and knowing him and making him known, you'll be supremely blessed. Amen, guys. Thank you guys so much. I know we only got through five of them. We'll get through another five next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202 Simi Valley, California, 93062, or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.